0: Hello and welcome to Anything That Moves, a Maniv mobility podcast about the future of people and goods getting around faster, cheaper, safer, and cleaner. I'm your host, Mayor Dardashti. Before we get started, the team at Maniv wants to hear from you. If you have feedback or if you are the founder of a company in the mobility space, please reach out to us via the form on our website, www.maniv.com, that's M-A-N-I-V.com, and click Contact Us. Hi, I'm here today with Lohanmi Descourvier from Valeo. I'll let you introduce yourself. And I also want you to introduce Valeo, because I don't think Valeo is necessarily a household name for most of our listeners, but it probably should be for those who are in entrepreneurship and want, are looking for a partner. Why don't you introduce yourself? And then let's talk about what is a Valeo?
1: Very good. Hi, Mayor. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to to, to join you on this podcast. So very shortly about me, I'm in charge of startups and technologies, but to understand what I do, I think best is to talk about value with a few examples, because I agree with you. Sometimes we're not so well known. And uh, by giving the examples, I'd like to highlight how important that is for us to be in the uh, mobility um, sector. So, for instance, if I give you three examples regarding LIDARs, cameras and and surround view cameras, it may make sense and, and it may illustrate what we do. First, the LIDARs. Everybody talks about the LIDARs, but basically it allows you to do, for instance, the level three autonomy of the vehicles. And we did that with our LIDARs and Honda and Mercedes, and we're very, very happy about that. Honda, again, another Honda model, we were capable of putting on the market the world's first front camera that can allow you to achieve level two autonomy. And this is unique because... Basically, it's only with a front camera, no other sensors. And another thing that was uh, probably extremely fun to to watch during the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, that was make the trailer disappear for General Motors. Basically, we use cameras, we use connectivity, and we help people to see through the trailers. It was a, a really, not only a why effect, But it's extremely useful when you maneuver in the States with a pickup truck and a huge trailer. So when you look at mobility today, a lot of people are talking about revolutions. That's true. We prepare something that is cleaner, safer, more autonomous, more connected. And I think you and I or all the users, what we all want to have is something tailored to our needs. And this is extremely demanding for the industries. And When we look at the industries and how value position itself, basically we're there at all the revolutions, and we managed to anticipate the revolutions because we had in hand and still develop technologies and industrial leadership. For instance, for vehicle electrification, ADAS, um, lighting, interior intelligence. And this is extremely difficult because you have to bring together the people, the industries, the hardware, the electronics, the software. And what people want is a a smart vehicle that gives you a unique user's experience. But what what they care about is that you put to work all the expertise that you have. And in terms of expertise, Valeo is the world leader in electrification of powertrain systems. We're number two in thermal management systems. And this is extremely important because you have to manage the performance and the range of electric vehicles. You don't want to be stranded somewhere and you don't want to be worried about, am I going to make it from point A to point B? And this, um, we prepared that for quite a few years. And you have heard about the announcement with uh, Value and Siemens. And this is what we have been preparing to be well positioned for the acceleration of electrification. Then... And when uh, you look at the autonomous vehicles, I gave you the examples of uh, Honda, Mercedes, but a few figures so that you realize how well positioned we are. When you look at a car that is new and that comes to the market with ADAS systems, one new car out of three has value ADAS technologies. In those cars, basically where the eyes, the ears of the cars, but we also have the brains, because we have the range of sensors that go from ultrasonic sensors to cameras, lidars, radars, and so on. When you look at the car, it's also very important to have that emotion. And the emotion can be carried out through the style. And we are recognized as a world leader in terms of lighting when you have that special signature that you can see during the the day but at night also we are extremely well positioned for that and when you look at the future with the new technologies that you have in the lighting systems you can also do road markings like have something written on the road with the light systems and it's it, it's amazing what things uh, can do we're definitely a, a tech company people sometimes see us only as the Tier 1, and in the automobile industry. But the truth is that we work with the OEMs, and we also work with the uh, new mobility players, and we work on new forms of mobility. You've seen um, the recent news about the the e-bikes as well, low-speed electric vehicles, shuttles, droids, robotaxis. And we've been doing this and capable of doing this because innovation was always in the motor of value and always have, has always been a, a great motivation for our CEO that is pushing us very hard in that direction. And that's why, for instance, in um, 2009, I think we had about 6,000 engineers and now we have 20,000 engineers. In terms of patents, we follow up the KPI. So, how many patents do we have worldwide? And we have thirty-four thousand active patents.
0: Wow! I want to step back though a little bit. That's really interesting and really impressive. And and I want to you know even ask a more basic question, which I think you answered already. Which is, I've never bought a Valeo car before, and I probably never will because let's call it like it is. OEMs <laughs> don't even really build cars; they just put a brand on a car, but they rely on a pretty interesting network of suppliers and innovators for the technology. So the same way that the brand or the ownership on that car belongs to Mercedes mm-hmm. and the ownership on the service might belong to Waymo, the ownership on the system belongs to you a lot of the times, right? You'll own uh, a, a LiDAR system or you'll own the cooling system. It's just that the user might not know it because it's not, they're not buying a car with a big sticker that says Vallejo on the side.
1: It's true, it's true. And uh, we're very happy to have our, our partners to work with OEMs and new mobility players. Today, what we do is technology and systems provider. What we excel in is knowing the systems, the limits of the systems, the sensors, and we're proud to be able to push them to the limits, to compare and match them in terms of fusion of data or in terms of systems, so that in the car, of our customers and our partners, we can achieve whatever is going to make sense on the market. Because when you look at the um, use cases, um, people are very different from one country to another one. You have different ways of life, the markets are fragmented, the transportations of goods and people have similarities and differences. So you cannot standardize everything. Nevertheless, I'll just take maybe the example of the bikes because it's recent in the news. When you look at the bikes, more and more e-bikes. If there were no e-bikes, I wouldn't be able to follow my kids now when we go out um, for a ride. I, 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 I wouldn't be able to make it home. I, they, they'll go so far, and I won't be able to get back. The e-bikes, when I lived in San Francisco, slopes, steep slopes. That was my nightmare. When I go to Tel Aviv, it's the traffic Sorry, Mayor, but traffic is horrible in Aviv. You don't have to convince
0: me. <laughs> believe me.
1: <laughs> so what people care about is that whatever the use case is or wherever they live, it's a hassle-free use of e-bikes. So what we as tier one and technology provider we have to do is look at the use cases look at our roadmaps and our our products, for instance, for the 48-volt motor. And then we design the e-bikes so that there is the right torque. You don't have to change gears. I hate changing gears. I always mix it up. You don't have dirty pants, torn pants. And when we do that, basically, we also take care of the footprint. Because for our customers and partners it's extremely important that we can go along with them for the developments, but also to the customers. The footprint in Asia, Europe and America, basically it allows us to sell across the brands and the geographies. And what our partners um, care about is that we do enough standardization and customization because they have to take care of the customer's experience and therefore value has to take care of the customer's experience. But if we bring innovations, the markets, the industrial know-how or leadership, and we can work with them. Basically, we deliver systems, components, turnkey solutions, and this is what they're looking for, partners.
0: So I, I think that if, from the perspective of a startup or an entrepreneur, and I'm, I'm bringing this back because, first of all, it's in my interest and also in your interest as startup director. Yes. To bring this to, from the perspective of a startup you know, that has an application in mobility, sometimes even an application that goes inside a car, I think the instinct or the most obvious direction to someone just coming in is let me go look at what brands are on the street and go approach them with my technology. Mm. Uh, But I think you and I have both seen that going direct to OEM is often really problematic. What are some of the advantages of working if you have a component in a car or an idea for a car or something that touches a car system or even outside the car? Why tier ones actually make more compelling partners in most cases than the OEMs themselves? Why is it that even though Valeo isn't front of mind as a brand, it actually makes a pretty logical startup partner for a mobility or auto tech startup?
1: It's a very good question. I have that question internally, externally, and I don't think there is a true recipe. But what is for sure is that when you work with car manufacturers, tech companies, with big corporates, it's not the same thing as working with startups. You know that what we do usually with you is that we have partners look at the different countries, businesses, and technologies, but then how does it turn into business? And we exchange about what value needs in terms of technologies, what we look for in terms of software, hardware, materials, and we do deal flows, screen startups. We do calls, visits, demos, uh, and proofs of concept like everyone else. It's really usual. I think what is a little bit more specific about Valeo is that we're flexible. We believe that startups, they're not alike. We believe that we have to have different networks and not only R&D face the startups, because one day it could be a purchasing question, another day an IP question. So we build a kind of community within Valeo to work with the startups. And it's extremely difficult for startups to understand the processes and work or navigate in our processes for big corporations. And besides that, I realized that when we began to talk about products that have to go to the market and that has to be a certain standard in terms of quality, etc., this is extremely demanding.
0: Oh, me! I can't tell you how many times I've seen an automotive sensor startup that said... Look at this beautiful prototype I built in the lab and look at what it does. And then you take one look at it and say, that won't last a day in a car. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But nevertheless, you know what? You're right. But nevertheless, I, I think the startups and the people in the startups are extremely bright. Innovations can exist everywhere. And it would be extremely arrogant to think that innovations can only happen within value. It's not the case. We are open to discussing with startups and what we can offer to the startups is sometimes we, we discuss about, okay, you have a, a great idea. You even have sometimes like prototypes, et cetera. How is it going to end up in the market? What are the applications? What kind of POCs um, would make sense? Because sometimes you can do POCs, but the ideal case for startups and for us, it's not to do POCs. It, it's to design, validate, Carry out even like industrialization with automotive grade or different kinds of grades, win businesses. I have startups coming to me and asking, okay, I have this, and I think Valio can open the doors to other partners and other customers, which they cannot reach out to. Or they can say, oh, we saw on the website of Valio, you are present in more than 30 countries. You have almost like 200 plants. You have research centers that are next to us. What can we do together? Because we need to grow globally. It's extremely difficult to grow globally as well.
0: Well, let me also throw out something that might be obvious to you, but isn't necessarily obvious to a startup when they approach BMW, which is that these OEMs are used to being offered a 10-year warranty on their parts from a company that has a year and a half of runway. You know, the expectations of the industry are just fundamentally not aligned in a very challenging way with young startups. And tier ones make really interesting partners because you can offer that stability and legitimacy.
1: Yes, and we can absolutely accelerate them. I mean, you don't invent knowledge and know-how in validations in years and years of understanding of the criticality of the life of the vehicle. You're absolutely right.
0: Okay, Lo and me, I've given you the softball questions first. Now, now I want to ask <laughs> <laughs> you, you just talk about Vallejo. Don't I, scare I to, me. <laughs> I, 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 want to, I want to push a couple of buttons now. And, and I know these are things that you've thought about because we've talked about, but there's been a, a traditional structure. Of, uh-huh. you know, how did all the great innovations in automotive in the last 60 years come about? Uh, the OEM wrote a 300 page description of what they're looking for, went to a tier one, they went and built it. Over uh-huh. 15 years it got worked into the car. And then what do you know? You have, I don't know, anti-lock braking systems. But that in the world of of electric vehicles and of autonomous vehicles and of new OEMs that are coming and moving very fast, that innovation cycle isn't necessarily going to stay stable or can't stay stable. What opportunities and what threats do you see in a world of AV and EV, in a world where where the fundamental architecture of the car is no longer a given and where incremental adjustments and 300-page descriptions of what the OEM is looking for Mm -hmm. just might not even be relevant?
1: Yeah, I, I then it, allow me maybe to share with you a few things that we look at on the market, more specifically than what, what I have already told you. When uh, you were asking about value and about what I do, um, every year I had long discussions with the teams across the organization. It could be the CTOs of the business groups. It could be the VPs in the uh, different regions. And we look at what we have achieved and we look at the roadmaps that we'd like to accomplish, but we look at at the markets for sure as well. And we have a few topics that we run through and we leave a little bit of flexibility to ourselves to embrace the, the new challenges because as you say, things are accelerating. We cannot tell for sure what's going to happen next. And we have to get ready to change directions or adapt if it's necessary. So for instance, electrification, we saw it coming. And we got ready with um, Siemens for quite a few years. I think it was in the 2016 or so. And then we looked at what are we going to do? Motors, inverters, thermal systems automation everybody's knows that automation has shifted to safety and we were ready but then Suddenly, you have an acceleration in connectivity and in users' experience. You you hear a lot about people that want uh, the same user's experience as as your phone. You want to take care of your well-being, your health. And when you have a, a vehicle that is going to move autonomously, the first rush was to make the vehicle move autonomously. But after that, you wonder... Yes, they can move autonomously if their eyes and ears that are the sensors can be clean or wiped. And we had the second rush that was, oh, do we have those systems ready? And actually having that in-house allowed us to have that and, and anticipate that the software side, the hardware and, and, and the systems. So what is extremely interesting is, is the complexity. You asked a question, for instance, about uh, how are we going to see ourselves in that relationship with the OEMs, for instance. Let's take the example of EV, among all of these examples. We did calculations for sure. And we saw that in the um, e-powertrain market, we saw that kind of vertical integration But even though with that vertical integration, we calculated, we analyzed the situation, and 40% of that market will remain accessible to tier ones. I told you, e-motors, inverters, onboard chargers, DC-DC converters. And the beauty of it is that the market is going to be multiplied by four by then. So it's just tremendous. And then we discussed with our partners with the OEMs, and they said, in the in source part, anyway, I need your support for the subsystems. To illustrate that, I'll give you the example of Volkswagen, the MEB platform, extremely important at Volkswagen, where Value Siemens is providing the inverters for both the front and the rear axle drives. We had some other discussions with OEMs for active parts in e-motors, same thing, they're coming to us to ask for their active parts. So the conclusion that we had on our end is, wow, business opportunities, because basically what is maybe specific about value is we try to be extremely agile on our supply scope. And the difficulty for us is we look at the diversity, we have to standardize, And we have to keep under control our cost. That's the challenge now.
0: You mentioned the V-word, which is vertical integration. I didn't bring it up, you brought it up, so I can't be blamed later. And I'm gonna bring up the T-word also, which is the classic example is look at new OEMs like Tesla. Mm -hmm. And at least on their public face, and I I think there's a little bit of a bluff here. They're claiming to be much more vertically integrated. And I saw a report recently that 70% of their parts are still coming from outside the organization. And for all their talk of vertical integration, it's really just they're vertical, but they are vertically integrating a lot of core systems. So they are building their own motor. They're doing a lot of their own work in batteries, and a lot on the software side, obviously. Assuming, and I, I think this is a fair assumption, that not just Tesla but new OEMs take a bigger chunk of this market. Do you think that changes the dynamic between how an o, a new OEM works with an established Tier One? Do you, do you see that as an opportunity, a challenge, or both?
1: Today. I'm going to give you an example of different use cases. And then I'm going to answer your question. When I had some discussions with some governments like in Asia and so on, they said to me, "Uh, look, there's more urbanization. The population is aging. So one situation that may happen is that we're all going to live in the cities with our, our children, our, our jobs, etc. But the grandparents are going to live far away because they want space, they, 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 they want a house, but they miss the children and they will use shared vehicles, autonomous electric shared vehicles. And during the day, they come and, and visit the grandchildren or even on a strike day or on a bad weather day, you're stranded and they need to take care of the grandchildren. Imagine that they come to your house, and then after that, the car is not sitting idle. It's going to go and take care of all the grandparents, or even it's going to take care of goods during the day. And at night, when you sleep, you're going to, it's electric. The vehicle is electric. It continues to work, no noise, and it can even be connected, and it knows where it goes, where it is. Compared to the other vehicles, it doesn't need to switch on the lights. So energy saving. Less traffic jams even during the day. So it may be even easier for me to move around in, in, in Paris, not be stuck behind a, a truck.
0: Good luck with that. I'm not optimistic about I need these cities <laughs> in terms of traffic.
1: <laughs> so the, the point is today, this is a, a societal revolution. Autonomous driving and electrification, uh, th- that is bringing huge changes in mobility. And if there is yeah, a kind of uh, huge societal revolution, it means that there are new value chains, new business models, new services, and it's extremely complicated. And therefore, it's a work of the whole ecosystem. I don't think anyone, any company can do it alone. I think it it has to be a a whole ecosystems effort going from the cities to the OEMs to the insurance companies to the tier 1s to the basically today we we discuss more about partnerships because one day you can be a partner on one thing you can be potentially a customer a, a tier 1 and and even sometimes a competitor uh, and it's a whole effort to change or to benefit from that revolution.
0: I, I think that you, puts you in a, in a pretty interesting position though, because you can think of each uh, automaker or each manufacturer has a total view over its own product. You have you can see top down the entire value chain of its specific product. You can look across products. If you're providing thermal systems, or even let's talk about e-motors because I think this is one of the most interesting things Valeo has done in the last year or two. Is you can take a, a product, you could say, I know how my motors are being used in hybrid vehicles and in electric vehicles, and across OEMs, and you, you might even be able to see a new market for that same product just based on having seen that system in use across several products. Do you think that gives you any kind of? And I, I'm sorry for lobbing a softball here. I just think it's so interesting. Bikes. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about what you're doing with e-bikes? And, and and listen, e-bikes are a little bit of a personal obsession with me and other members of the team also, mm-hmm. um, partly because uh, it's such an inefficient supply chain as it stands now. Can you talk a little bit about the opportunity you saw there? And I guess yeah. I'm I'm leading the witness here because I really want you to talk about e-bikes and e-motors, but why it makes sense for someone who's a traditionally an automotive player to get into a new supply chain, a new value chain in, in e-bike motors.
1: Absolutely. Basically of many good reasons. That question is very interesting because we asked that question ourselves many times. And we took advantage of the fact that we saw with our our footprint, we saw different kinds of micromobility emerge. We were approached and we approached also some key micromobility players. And we realized that we had the technical know-how. And the potential to manufacture, customize, but also keeping a standard within our uh, 48-volt motors. So I told you about the e-bikes. The the reason of e-bike is not only e-bike. You could put that in the AMI, that very small car that you can buy at the bookstore. I I, I was myself extremely amazed when I, I saw it. Personally, at the bookstore, I was like, "Wow, there is a forty-eight volt motor of value in the e-bikes and in that car." You can, I actually, just, can I just know yeah. this
0: is how broken the e-bike supply chain is? That cargo bikes <laughs> regularly retail for over 15,000 fifteen thousand euro. The Citroen emmy is six thousand euro and sold in a bookshop. <laughs> Anyone who's listening from a cargo bike startup that wants to sell me another fifteen thousand euro cargo bike, just go buy an me.
1: Uh, And you know what? And beyond that, you talk about two wheelers, okay? You you talk about an e-bike, two wheels. You talk about um, the Ami, four wheels. You can talk about three wheelers in India, okay? And this is what triggered a kind of, wow, that's interesting for us. That's extremely interesting. And you're right. Having that view across the different countries and the different customers, that allowed us to consolidate Not only the understanding, but a kind of plan. And I think for for the teams, it's extremely motivating. I can see how they react to the different use cases, how they can adapt the systems and how they can discuss across the borders about the opportunities. It's it's really great.
0: If you have any sway with Citroën, you want to convince them, you want to convince Atlantis to bring the... (laughs) The Amit Israel, they have their first customer here, but don't tell my wife. <laughs> um, I have a more of a meta industry question, and I don't know if you're the right person to ask, but I'm asking anyone who will let me ask them, which is, I think that the traditional automotive industry has reacted with different levels of alacrity or with different levels of speed to, to different challenges. And we can debate whether they were early or late, but European automakers noticed early on that batteries were going to be a problem. And they went and launched JVs and they even bought startups and all of the major European players now have some kind of battery effort. We can argue if they were early or late because Tesla did it first, but it doesn't matter. They saw the problem. They went, they tried to solve the problem with some kind of combination of in-house partnership. They now have a bigger problem, even if it might be temporary, which is silicon uh, chips that the entire industry is at a standstill because they can't get their hands on the chips they need. Do you think that there's a world where tier ones and automakers get more involved in the chip business the same way that they got more involved in the battery business? Or is this a problem that is just going to have to be solved from outside the automotive industry?
1: Yeah, it's a a tricky question. It, It is true. When you look at the situation for the supply chain today, it's a challenge. It's a real challenge. You look at all the industries, no one would have thought that it would happen. And all the industries have currently to review, readjust, fine-tune, I think, the best practices or redefine the ways to work together. At value it was very difficult, but having the discussions with the teams that carried out the deliveries and made sure that we deliver all the customers and Valio delivered all the customers without interruption last year and so far. And this basically, it was an extraordinary teamwork across the organization. And this is despite the chip shortage. We even had thanks from some of the customers and uh, some customers were even very curious about how we could do that and so on. But basically it's management of how to find the solutions. And it's very dependent on the different corporations. We managed to do that with our ways of doing business. I believe we are among the top five buyers of electronics in the world. So when the chip shortage was announced, we were like, everybody has to work on this. And we managed through it. We didn't stop any production line. So I I guess it's very specific to one company to another one.
0: It sounds like you're describing a lot in terms of, you know, being able to triage these products and triage the supply chain and and rally internally. Do do you see structural changes happening because of this in the industry? Do you see either the consolidation of the architecture of these chipsets, of these electronic components that have fewer chips, or do you see partnerships with chip makers to more closely tie in the the supply chain or is this ultimately i have to be honest with you, i asked this to a different tier one and they looked at me and smiled and said tsmc is more likely to buy vw than vw is to buy tsmc <laughs> so this is the scope of the problem is just too big for us to handle structurally do you do you agree with that is this structurally just going to have to be treated as a force measure like as external event and you have to rally internally or are there things that you think that automakers, whether or not Valeo does it, that some players in the industry are likely to actually go and take steps to, to change either the design structure or the supply structure in the so long term?
1: I, yes, I have seen that in uh, 2021. Some OEMs have met moves with global foundries, with integrating that more into their developments with having a direct contact with the chip makers, et cetera. Yes, it was announced, quite a few, across the world, including the US, including Europe, etc. It's true. And there are the moves as well in terms of other players. But I also see people that are saying, you know what, it's not necessarily the way to do it. The chip makers are very good at what they do. I'm very good at what I do. And the truth is, how am I going to work with the chip makers to be sure that we deliver in time? Production anticipation, clear planning, all of those things where you have to go into the details and align the organizations in order to work together. So today, frankly speaking, I would not have any recommendation I I have seen two trends, and there are two trends, and I believe that it's really depending on what a company's strategy is, its footprint, its products, product portfolios, but but also customer portfolios and partner portfolios, and how you work with those partners. It's very intimate, and it's very special when you deal with with, with such a a a chip shortage. And you cannot copy and paste the solution.
0: It's the nuanced answers that are probably usually right, but also harder to put on a, on a bumper sticker. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, no one's going to walk away and print a bumper sticker that says, dealing with suppliers is difficult, but worthwhile and very personal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I don't mean to avoid the questions, but I have seen that. And, and, and the thing, what is so amazing for me, when I learned internally that we delivered all of our customers, I mean, it's incredible. It's extraordinary. I was, I was like, wow, we did that. It's a, a great teamwork. And I, I cannot be more than thankful to, to all, the, all of the team members within VALIO that did that. I was really amazed.
0: On the topic of being thankful, Me, thank you so much for your time. It's always wonderful to see you. Hopefully next time in person. I think we'll have an occasion in May. So hopefully next time in person and uh, really thank you for your time and insights.
1: It was very nice talking to you as usual. I had a lot of fun. You tried to narrow down on difficult questions, but I I really enjoy it. And yes, for sure. I I will go to the events in Israel and I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting you in person again.
0: And if you are a startup out there that is looking for an automotive partner, First of all, you should find out what a tier one is if you don't know. And if you know what a tier one is, you should look for Vallejo. Lo and me is very good at what she does.
1: Thank you so much, Mera, and you too.
0: Thank you to producer Naomi Lazarov for making this episode happen. If you liked her work and are willing to put up with mine, please rate and subscribe to Anything That Moves wherever you find your podcasts. Once again, for feedback or to reach out for investment, please go to Manivh.com and click contact us. You can also find us on LinkedIn or Twitter at Manivh Mobility. Thanks for listening.